You're listening to the sermon audio from the Shore Church located in North Vancouver. For more information about the Shore, upcoming events, or to donate, you can head to www.theshorechurch.ca. Good morning. My name is Jer. So great to have you here uh, with us uh, on this uh, rainy fall Sunday. And uh, let me uh, get into our passage today. It's not so much a passage, but as I was preparing for this, uh, this talk, this is, we're, we're walking through, if you're new here, walking through a nine-week to ten-week uh, sermon series on uh, discipleship. And this Sunday is on the Spirit-filled life. And so what does this mean? What is this spirit-filled life? And as I was doing some study and walking through this text, it just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And I was telling Johnny, I was telling my wife, I was like, I think I'm on my third sermon already. And it was like Wednesday. And so there's so much to, do, to talk about. So we're just going to be scratching the surface uh, this morning on what this means. But I want to give you the, the kind of Coles Notes version of what this means to be spirit-filled person. And it took me to John 14, 15, and 16. That's why I read uh, that little opening passage with the kids, uh, because it really takes me there. When you want to learn about the Spirit, those are, good, those are three good chapters to go to, John 14, 15, and 16, to just kind of dive in a little bit and, and, and discover who the Spirit is. And that's essentially what I have done. But this, these three chapters are incredible. Because what it is, is Jesus talking to his disciples on his final days. And it got me thinking about, like, what would I talk to my family about on my final days? Like, if God gave me the grace to, to know, like, I've only got a couple days left, what would I talk to my family about? What would I share with them? And I would probably really, like, I would want to make sure my, all the things are covered. Like, my books are covered, the, the, all the payments. But I would, more importantly, I would want to make sure that my family knows that I love them. I would want to make sure that I would teach them that one thing that I, you know, I haven't taught them yet, that, that, that all of a sudden this is elevated into a very important item to minister to them about. And I just have not had that opportunity yet. And I would want to tell them about Jesus and God and the Holy, God the Father and the Holy Spirit. And I would, I would want to proclaim, do you really trust Him? Do you really believe in Him? Do you, would you dedicate your life to Him fully? And have you done this? This would be so urgent in my heart to talk to them about this. And then what about you as a child? Watching maybe your father pass away. And maybe some of us have had that opportunity. And you, I'm sure, probably look through your mind's eye and you, you look back at those times when, you're, when your father or your dad or, or your mom is just trying to teach you a lesson and you kind of ignored them. You didn't really, you know, take that time to listen in. And, and now you're reflecting back on that time and going, man, did I really understand what my parents, my, my father was talking about? Was I really understanding? Was I really listening? Did I believe him when he said this was evil and this was good? And friends, this is what this, these three chapters are really talking about. This is Jesus knowing he is going to go to the cross and die. And he's giving his disciples his final words. And it's a powerful, powerful passage when you look at it in the context that it sits in. So talking like this may bring up thoughts of your father, maybe both good and bad. Maybe you didn't have a father that spent his time with you and tell you about the very important things of life, but rather he was abusive or 
didn't have a relationship with him. But I'm sharing this because of this idea that Jesus lives and loves and cares for us deeply. This is exactly why he came down to this earth for us, to, to minister to us and to reveal his, the Heavenly Father to us. And I want to walk through this passage. Not, well, I, I keep saying passage, but there's going to be many Scripture verses that we're going to cover today about who the Spirit is. And that's what I want to get to. And I came up with the, these three points. They're on the screen there. And, and essentially what Jesus is doing, He's not only talking about who uh, the Spirit is in, this, in these three chapters, but what is the Spirit's purpose and what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit. So let me pray for us and then we'll jump in. To, to what we've prepared here this morning. Well, Jesus, as I stand be- behind this pulpit, um, I stand behind the Word of God. I stand behind Your words. And so please take away any words uh, from me, any distractions from me. Um, and I pray that You will shine uh, brightly in this room, that it will be about You and not about anybody else here. And so, Lord, as we look into your word, that your inspired word, uh, Lord, help us glean what you have uh, to teach us about yourself and help us remember that we don't know our days, but you do. You say in the Psalms that you've written them in your book and you know the beginning and the end. And so help us um, revere what you have said. Help us understand and believe and trust in, in what your words say about the Spirit about the Spirit's purpose, and about what it means to be Spirit-filled, and that we would go now practice that. And so help us, Lord, in this. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, who is the Spirit um, that Jesus was so eager to tell His disciples about in these last days? Well, to answer this question is to answer who is God, right? Like, this is a big topic. Like I was talking about, like, this is barely scratching the surface. So I would encourage you, and I've been praying for you, that you would, you would fall deeply in love with this. And John 14, 15, 16 might be a little bit of a homework assignment for you over and above your devotional times uh, with the Lord. And you'd read through these and just kind of pen and paper and, and jot down who this Spirit is and what is His purpose and what are you called to now? And so who is the Spirit? Well, the Spirit is God. We see the Spirit actually everywhere in Scripture. We see the Spirit of God back in the presence of the creation. Right in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, He was hovering over the lands, hovering over the waters. And and when God was speaking things into existence, the Spirit was active and at work. And the Spirit is not only in creation, but He is shown most most formally in the deity of His presence in in Acts chapter 5, verse 3 and 4. And this this passage is the most clear probably in the Scripture. And it's a story, it's a narrative story of something that happens within the church. And, and And in this narrative story, there's a story of a couple that sold a piece of property and mutually decided to keep some of the proceeds that they had said they would give to the church. This is Ananias and Sapphira. And Peter warns them and says to them, he goes, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? To lie to the Holy Spirit. And then he goes on and says, and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land. And then later on he says, you have not lied to man, but to God. 
So the Spirit is God. So we discover who is the Spirit? Well, the Spirit is God. Peter elevates the deity of the Holy Spirit, making him equal to God, claiming the Spirit to be God. But the thing is, reading through the Scriptures, we don't get that that clear. That's why I say that was probably the clearest evidence of Spirit as God. Because the whole idea for the Spirit is to live out His role. To live out his role in the Trinity. And it's incredibly important to see this, that he is the helper. And some theologians go as far as to say, it feels as if when you read the scriptures on the Holy Spirit and you do do some deep dive studying, it seems like he's a lesser than. But he's not. He's completely equal. And Bruce Ware says it this way in his book, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, which I commend to you. It's a great book, a little book. Uh, but it's a good one on who he is. And it says this, he says this, Bruce Ware says this, it is nothing short of remarkable that the spirit clearly embraces and in no respect resents the fact that he is, has eternally what might be called the background position in the Trinity. So even theologians would, would see this. They're seeing that, that he seems as if he has the background position which means in our text, in our culture, a background position is a lesser than. But he's saying, no, it's not a lesser than. This is the role that he's been given as the helper, and he's eternally in this presence. And he's living out this role perfectly, with honor and love and joy. See, the Spirit is not lesser than, but perfectly performs His role. This is why you don't get an array, like I said, an array of verses saying the Spirit is God, but rather verses alluding to the Godhead, because the Spirit's job is to shine a spotlight on Jesus' life and God the Father's life. This is His whole role, the background position equal to God the Father, equal to God the Son. Background role is to point a shining light to God the Father in God the Spirit. And we see this in John 15, 26. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he, the Spirit, will bear witness about me, Jesus. This is his job. Or in John 16, 13, where it says, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Humbly, listening, and active, and presenting what God the Father and Jesus the Son have said. See, another example where the Spirit is equal to God the Father and God the Son, again, not outrightly, but you got to read into it a little bit here, is John 14, 17, 20, and 23. So take a look at 14, or chapter 14, verse 17 first. It says this, Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. Okay, so now you have the world. This is the world that cannot receive Him. The world, the unbeliever, will not receive the Spirit or know the Spirit because you, the world, do not believe his testimony about Jesus. So because you don't believe who Jesus is, you do not have the Spirit. You don't know the Spirit. You don't believe in him. You don't believe in his testimony. So the world's unbelief of Jesus is the sign to them that they don't know the Spirit of God. You can't say you know God and not believe in Jesus Christ. You don't have the Spirit within you. This is what this verse is saying. So it's, and then it says, goes on to say in verse 17, you know him, you know him, the church knows him, for he, the spirit, dwells with you and will be in you. 
Okay, now look at verse 20. It says, In that day you will know that I, Jesus, am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Wait a second. So you not only have the Spirit indwelling you, you know how Jesus indwelling you. And a couple of weeks back when we were talking about memorizing Scripture, Galatians 2.20, there's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives what? In me. Interesting. So you have the Spirit of God living in you. You have Christ Jesus living in you. And now look at verse 23 of chapter 14 of John. Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. The word that the, what is inspired by the Holy Spirit. And my Father will love him. And get this. And we, plural, we will come to him and make our plural home with him. Father, Son, Spirit, residing in us. Residing in us. The Spirit is equal, equal to God. So who's the Spirit? Well, the Spirit is God. This is the Holy Spirit. You know Him by your confession of Jesus as Lord and Savior. Your salvation is assured by your transformed heart to confess Jesus as Lord because it is only a Spirit-filled person that confesses this, believes it, and acts upon it. It's only by the Spirit. So who is the Spirit? The Spirit is God. Secondly, what is the Spirit's purpose then? Well, in Wayne Grudem's book, Systematic Theology, the work of the Holy Spirit, he says this, the work of the Holy Spirit is to manifest the active presence of God in the world and especially in the church. So this is the, the, the act of working through the church into the world and being a light in the world. This is the presence of the Spirit within us. So take a look at 1 Corinthians 2, 11 through 12. It says this, just an amazing text. It says, For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? Okay, your spirit within you knows your thoughts because that is your personhood. Okay, and it goes on to say, So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God because the spirit of God resides in the Father. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. Are you tracking with this? Like this verse is incredible. It is telling us that we might know God when he enlightens us to himself. We can know about the spirit's purpose because he resides in us and resides in the Trinity. He is part of it. See, here's a list of the Spirit's purposes that we know because of the Word of God that we believe and trust in only by the work of the Spirit within us to change our heart and heart, to become fleshy, that we may go, this is the Word of God. And so here's, some, here's a list. He dwells in His people. John 14, 17. You know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. He makes the dead alive. He seals us. He brings wisdom and understanding. He provides counsel and power. He provides knowledge and fear of the Lord. If you take a look at Isaiah 11, verse 2, incredible passage on the Spirit. He brings wisdom, understanding, counsel and power, knowledge and fear. He is the giver of gifts. He brings us an, an 
in alignment with the Father and the Son. He saves us into holiness. He is truth. He is a teacher, the helper who undergirds the things of the Son and of the Father. He gives assurance in 1 John 4.13. It says, by this we know that we abide in Him, in the Father, in the Son, and He in us because He has given us of His Spirit. He directs. He inspires. He convicts, specifically in three areas. And I want to sit on this this last one here a little bit. John 16, verses 8 through 11. He convicts. Let's read it. He says, And when He comes, He will convict the world concerning three things, sin and righteousness and judgment. Now concerning sin, because they do not believe in Me. Now concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see Me no longer. Now concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Three areas of conviction that the Holy Spirit does. This is His purpose. This is His purpose. So let's look first at sin. See, people know by the work of the Spirit that they are guilty of sin. Every one of us. This is the grace of God in all people. See, it doesn't necessarily seem like grace to tell them or tell people, tell the world of their sin. Right? It seems hateful. It seems inappropriate. It seems, how dare you tell me that I'm sinning? But it's actually incredible grace. It's loving. It's the most loving thing that you can do to awaken someone to what is going on within their hearts. See, not just telling sin, but the word for that conviction in that passage. You can just keep that John 16 up there, Mark. That word for conviction is actually indict. It can be translated as indict, meaning that, that the sin has happened and is final. It has fallen under conviction in the court of the holy God and it has put a payment on your head for death. Romans 6.23, for the wages of your sin is death. Romans 3.10, no one is righteous, not even one. Romans 3.23, for all have fallen short of the glory of God. We are sinful, and it's by the Spirit of God who convicts us of our sin. But the world suppresses it, right? This whole passage is talking to the world, and when He comes, He will convict the world. And they don't see it. Why? Because they suppress it. I'm not that bad. I'm not as bad as that person. I'm not bad as that person. But unfortunately, God isn't going to judge you according to another person. God is going to judge you according to what you have done. What is in your heart. What is in your mind. What is in your soul. And you will stand guilty because no one is righteous. And the Spirit of God is indicting you to say that you are guilty before a holy God and you must pay the penalty. See, people suppress the truth, thinking more highly of themselves than they ought. This is, the, this is ultimately, if you suppress that truth, which is the Spirit is truth, you're suppressing the Holy Spirit. You're suppressing His Word to you. You're ignoring Him. The, word, the world deep down know what is right and wrong, yet they do the, the opposite, like Romans 2.15 says, the work of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. 
Like we know when we do right and wrong because the law is written on our hearts. When you go over to the treat table and you have, you're going about to take your fourth loaf, right? Either you suppress the truth and go, I deserve this. Or you go, ah, maybe someone else wants one of these. Or you go to take something that's not yours and you go, oh, I know this is wrong, but yet I'm going to do it. I'm going to hide it away. Like I, like, I don't know what it is. We were telling stories about our past and, and a couple of weeks ago and, and as a family. And, and I was reminiscing on some of the things that my friends did. And it was crazy. Like shoplifting was, was like ingrained in the culture of my high school. And so I'd go on road trips with, with the basketball team. And, and guys were constantly going, as we walked out of a store, they're going, what did you get? And I'm like, what are you talking about what I get? You saw, I've got no bag on me. I didn't buy anything. And they go, oh, I got like three shorts. They would go into the change room and put on all kinds of shorts and then come out with one. I go, I don't want this. But they'd have three pairs on. And they knew that they were doing wrong. They just didn't admit it. They knew they were doing wrong because they hit it. They suppressed the truth to the point their conscience was seared and they just hit it. Knowing that they, they couldn't just walk out the store with it in their hand. They knew that that was wrong. That's why they ha- had to hide it. And our hearts are so evil that we do the same thing. Every one of us. We hide it in different ways. Whether we close the door, whether we shut the laptop down before someone sees what we're looking at, whether we turn our phone away from someone else that might be seeing what we're, what we're looking at. We know when we're doing wrong. We know. Every one of us knows. Because the law is written on our hearts. Or in Ephesians 4.19 it says, They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Like the desire in your heart becomes so filled with this evil that you become greedy for it, that you actually want to choose the sin rather than the righteousness. Like this, friends, I'm going to be completely honest with you. This was me this summer. And I shared some of this in my community group, sharing our testimonies. We want to get to know one another. I was greedy to practice sin. I wanted it. And the Holy Spirit was crushing me to the point I couldn't hold it any longer. I had to confess it. I don't know if you feel that, but man, that was a gracious gift to me. It was a gracious gift to me that the Spirit was just squeezing me so much that I couldn't couldn't hold on to it anymore. But man, I was greedy for it. Is that too much? Is Is that too much to share honestly? We need to look at the conviction of sin because we too battle it. And then the passage goes on, the conviction of righteousness. The Spirit does a work. It says in verse 10, concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. 
See, the Spirit reminds us and puts a spotlight on Jesus' righteousness. And He reminds us that it is only by Jesus we are saved. It is only by Jesus' righteousness that we can enter into the presence of God, the Father. Jesus' mediation, His blood shed for us from the cross of Christ. Sprinkled on us that it is only by Christ that you are saved. Nothing that you can do. You cannot work this thing off. The Spirit was pressing so hard that He's going, you can't work this off, Jer. You need me. Confess to me and I will forgive you. Gracious gift. And the Spirit is convicting the world that you cannot enter into the gates of glory without Christ. And He says this in these three chapters. John 14, 6. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus is reminding his disciples on his last days, I'm the one. Believe in me. I'm going to create a new home for you one day. Trust in me. His righteousness. You see, Jesus all through John 14 through 16 is telling his disciples that you must believe. You know John 15? You must abide in me. And throughout the whole passage, you must love me and your joy will be complete. Your joy will be complete. In John 16, 20, it says, your sorrow will turn into joy. In John 16, 22, it says, no one will take your joy from you. In John 16, 24, it says, ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. I'm what you're looking for. And the Spirit is convicting them of their hearts, convicting them of their sin, convicting of the righteousness only is in Jesus' righteousness, not in ours. And he opens again with John 14, 3. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If, there, if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? If I go, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am you may be also. See, in John 16, Jesus is showing the world because you have not believed in the Spirit and the righteousness that I offer you, you will no longer see me. He's saying, if you don't fall in love with me, if you don't surrender to me, you will no longer see me. Ever. He's sharing what is most important to him on his final days. And he's sharing with his disciples, fall in love with me. Believe in me, and you will see me again. See, this is the work of the Spirit in the lives and the hearts of those who believe and have been regenerated, born again by the blood of Jesus. This is the hope that we have, church, that we will one day see Jesus. Now concerning judgment. So we've got the world concerning sin. They suppress it. So I'm not that bad. Concerning righteousness. I'll live on mine. I'll pay for my own sin. I'm about my kingdom, my belief system. That will get me to the the next life, whatever that is, instead of Jesus' righteousness. And now judgment. 
See, the Spirit is convicting, is, to, is, to, is awakening us to our sin and dwelling us and reminding us of our right standing that only comes by way of Jesus and reminds us that we have no escape, no escape, friends, from perfect justice outside of Jesus. There is no escape for the world. Zero. The most manipulative, deceptive individual, Satan himself, will not discover escape from judgment. Who do we think we are? We will stand one day before a holy God and have to take account for what we've done unless you surrender to Jesus. W.A. Chriswell, I'm not sure how to say that name. We were trying to figure that out. Chriswell, Chriswell, cool name. He writes this, See, without the presence of the Spirit, there is no conviction, no regeneration, no sanctification, no cleansing, no acceptable works. Life, friends, life is found in the quickening Spirit. Oh, to be in the loving hands of God. To know it's nothing that you've done. It's all the things that He's done. But woe to you, woe to those who have denied Jesus, blasphemed the Spirit, and denied the gift of the Father, walking in the way of the flesh rather than humbly releasing the sin over to Christ to let him pay for it, to let his blood shed for you, to, to cover that onto yourself that you might be right standing with the holy God the Father. But when you deny Jesus, when you blaspheme the Spirit and deny the gift of the Father, this is the man and woman that will spend eternity paying for the things that they've done against the Holy God. We are to seek, honor, serve, and live for Jesus above all else. This is what Jesus commanded His disciples in John 14, 15, and 16. And again, the purpose of the Spirit to go back to that list, He dwells in His people. He makes the dead alive. He seals us. He brings wisdom and understanding. He provides counsel and power. He provides knowledge and fear of the Lord. He is the giver of gifts. He brings us in alignment with the Father and the Son. He saves us into holiness. He is truth. He is the teacher, the helper. He gives assurance. He directs. He inspires and He convicts. This is the Holy Spirit. This is His purpose. And to those elect in God, confess sin, stand in the righteousness of Jesus. Be reminded that you are justified in Christ from the payment of sin that he paid for on the cross. And you live in this eternally. Praise be to God. Praise be to God. To those of the world, the Spirit convicts in sin, in your faulty understanding of righteousness and in judgment on the day of Jesus' return. Eternally, you will be separated from him. You will not escape judgment. So one spends eternity in glory and one spends eternity in suffering, in punishment. Friend, listen to the Spirit of God who can save you, who calls out to you by way of the written word in your heart of hearts and surrender to Him today with knowledge of who the Spirit is, with His purpose to convict sin that you might confess it, that you might receive Jesus' righteousness upon you and that you might be freed from the wrath of God at the judgment day that he will look upon Jesus and his sacrifice rather than looking up completely on you. May you be freed. So we've got what is the Spirit? Who is the Spirit? Not what is the Spirit. Who is the Spirit? He's a person. He's the person of God. What is his purpose? And then thirdly, what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? 
So here's, our, here's why this passage, but we really have to set this up. So what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Well, R.C. Sproul, an author and pastor, writes this. He says, Just as nothing can live biologically apart from the power of the Holy Spirit, so no man can come alive to God apart from the Spirit's work. See, the Spirit-filled life is the active presence of the Spirit played out in our lives. It's played out in how we now live. So knowing who the Holy Spirit is, knowing His purpose, and now acting this out. It's playing it out. It's living this out. And we see this all throughout the Scriptures. In Galatians 5, and 23, we see the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of your life ought to be love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control. This is the fruit of the Spirit. Not the fruits. The fruit of the Spirit played out in many ways. So, what is it to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Is that you are a loving person. That you are filled with joy of what He has done for you. You are in pe- you're peaceful because you no longer have to live under the wrath of God, but you live in the righteousness of Jesus. Man, just those things alone ought to give you just full of joy. So I can't wait. I can't wait to talk to the little children. I can't wait to talk to my neighbor. I can't wait to talk to one another about this amazing gift that we have. The Holy Spirit resides in us and teaches us and shines spotlights on Jesus the fall and Jesus the, and the God the Son and God the Father. And one does this by humbly walking in the Spirit. In Galatians 5.16, it says, Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So we are walking constantly with the Spirit. Right? Or in Ephesians 5, it says the same thing. In Ephesians 5.15-21, we're going to sit here and then we'll close with this text. But it says, it says, look carefully then how you walk. Right? Look carefully then how you walk. Like guard your steps. Guard your steps. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Earlier in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, it says to draw near to listen. To listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools for they do not know that they are doing evil. Guard your steps. Walk with the Lord. Think carefully of the things that you are doing throughout the day. Why? Because you serve a holy God. And it goes not as unwise, but as wise. See, walk with wisdom. What is wisdom? Well, according to the Proverbs, the wisdom literature in the Bible, it says to fear the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So don't be a fool. The unwise is the fool, right? The, I don't believe that there is a God, so I am playing the fool. Or you're going to be wise and go, I'm going to fear the Lord for this creation just explodes His attributes. So look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time. This is the outflow of who you are as a filled spirit person. Like a good use of your time would be to flee the things that take away from devotion with Jesus, right? Things that take away my devotion to Jesus. A good one to memorize and, and meditate on is 2 Timothy 2.22, easy to remember, 2.22. It says this, flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Think about what that's saying. Flee the youthful passions, the things that draw you away from Christ's likeness. Draw you away from living out of the fruit of the Spirit. 
and draw you away from community. And along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. This is the gathering of the church. Flee the youthful passions. Gather as a community. Love one another. Live in peace with one another. Care for one another. Serve one another. This is being a filled, a spirit-filled person. See, the Bible is one story showing us how to freely be saved and how then to walk. So walk. Look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, making the best use of the time. Why? Because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish. Again, living in the unwise, but, but understand what the will of the Lord is. To rejoice always. To pray without ceasing. Right? To honor and glorify Him. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, this is not a passage on drinking. It's giving you one example of many other things in our world today that take away our inhibitions. And this one is a powerful one, especially in the time of the Ephesus church. Do not get drunk with wine, but rather be filled with the Spirit. See, drunkenness makes you the fool. But there are other things that make us the fool, aren't there? Social media. Like I, I'm, I'm coaching 13 high school girls right now, and this is what I get. And it's, and it's shocking just to watch. Zero communication. I'm constantly bugging them. Hey, are you guys texting each other? You can, you can talk, right? Like, why don't you put your phones away? You're, you're, essentially, I'm saying, you're becoming a fool. You're looking at things that are ta- taking you away from the presence of others and the presence of God himself in this community. But we're the same. We go to things that we need a time out. Can you imagine, like, just imagine this day, maybe your day looks similar to this. Imagine this day, like, you go, you get up in the morning, maybe 6.30, 7 o'clock, and you, you go to work, you come home, maybe 6.30, 7 o'clock, you eat some dinner, maybe you tuck your kids in if you still got kids, and you're, or, or, you, or you're single and you're coming home and now it's 7 o'clock and now what am I going to do? And you go, you know what, I need some me time. I need, to, I need, I need some downtime. Just imagine if downtime was like with the Lord. Like imagine like if that, that's what you did. Like if you leaned into, you know what, I'm just going to pick up my Bible and, and just, just slow down and, and read a little bit about who he is. Just imagine that. Like how sweet that would be to listen to Jesus on his final days and to discover what he is saying to you. Just imagine that, that downtime. That would be sweet. I often talk to and counsel young, young fathers and, and young married individuals uh, walking into marriage and the battles that marriage brings and the differences all of a sudden from being single to now married and looking out for another. And oftentimes I'll speak to the, the husband and go, you know what, when, you know when your day starts? is when you open the door when you come home from work. 
That is the most important time of your day. To spend time now with your family. To spend time now with your kids. To spend time now with your wife. That's the most important. That's when your day starts. That's when you start earning that paycheck. That's the most important time. The days are evil. Don't be foolish. Don't be taken away from what, what this world is offering you, drunkenness, when Jesus is offering you the filling of the Spirit. See, the things of the Spirit, again, are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And what flows out of you is how you address one another. Look at 19 and 21 of this passage. It says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, with your causal core of your identity. Now, I can't wait to now just be a part of fellowship with other believers and caring for one another and using my downtime to actually serve the greater community of the church and my family, and my neighbor. Addressing one another in the joys of what Jesus has done for you. To living out of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So you submit, you serve and honor one another as your del duty, delight, and reverence for Christ. Reverence for Christ of who He is. Hey, just imagine what that day would look like now. It would look a little different, right? Our downtime is now to serve and honor others. Serve and honor God the Father. That'd be sweet. That'd be sweet to honor Him. See, this is the Spirit-filled life. This is the Spirit-filled life. To remember what Jesus has done for us by way of the spirit encouraging us and undergirding our belief and our understanding of who Jesus is, putting a spotlight on, on Jesus and spotlight on the Father, and then living these things out, living the things that he's left us with, to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love others the way we typically love ourselves. Love others that way. A life filled with devotion and delight in Christ is His work for you. A life filled with love for God and love for others. And Jesus shared with us again, going back to John 14. I'll close with this. John 14, 1, it says this. Let not your hearts be troubled. Picture this again. Last days. Last days of Jesus. And He bends His knee or maybe gets close with His disciples and goes... Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God and believe also in me. Let's pray. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you that it challenges us. It, it, it makes us feel a little uncomfortable because the sin that we so easily go towards. Lord, please weaken the flesh. And Lord, may we live out like Galatians says, that we will walk in the flesh and not give any time to the, or sorry, we would not walk in the flesh at all. We would not give any time to it, but that we would actually live in the spirit, not gratifying the flesh at all. So help us do that, Lord. Help us live for you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. 
as you've called us to. Help us remember your promises of the future coming of your kingdom, of the place that you were preparing for us, that we might see you face to face, that we might fellowship with you, that we might have joy, complete, unadulterated joy in you because we get to see you. Please challenge us, Lord, in our downtimes, in our times where we actually seek to gratify the flesh rather than the spirit. So help us, Lord. Convict us through your spirit and draw us near to you, Lord. Draw us near to you. For you are good. And what you have for us is, is light and easy and it's, and it's beautiful. So help us delight in you, Jesus, this week as a church, as a families, as individuals. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.